the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and fun things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. to That Witch Life Podcast. I am Courtney and I am your host today and I am here with Kanani. Hello. And Hillary. Hello. Hillary who broke a major rule in getting injured because she's not supposed to do that and she did. And I did anyway. Like <laughs> <not> an asshole. <laughs> oh my God, what is it? You need to look at your chart and figure out what it is about your feet, your ankle, your legs because it always seems like every time we turn around you've fallen again and messed up one of your like mobility leg things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is when you're an idiot and break your leg when you're 20 really badly, uh, <laughs> so bad that it needs to be put back together in many pieces that it never quite operates correctly. ever. No. So I'm just, I'm, I, because of that, my ankle is a little unstable and I like it, I just can turn it a little bit easier. And I, I was in the middle so I was hiking the um, part of the Mackenzie River Trail. So it's like a three and a half mile loop. And I was three miles in, or it's like maybe just under three and a half miles. I was like a half a mile or maybe like three quarters of a mile from the end. And then I was like, I, it was, I'd gotten over, it's actually a pretty, it's a, you know, it's a moderately hard hike. It's, there's some really steep stuff and kind of like uneven surfaces and, and stuff, but I got, I was like, okay, cool. I got through all the really hard stuff and then stopped paying attention. You know, I was like, look at how pretty this is. This is like an easy part of the trail. And then I stepped on a route and my ankle went one way. And then when I tried to catch myself, it went the other way. And then ah! I over the dog and then like landed. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Were you by yourself? No, I was with my roommate. Thank God. And God. So I like, I, I laid there for a second. My roommate was great. She was like, you let me know when you're ready to get up. We are not in a hurry. And I was like, okay, I need to sit here for a second. And then, so I'm like sitting there and I'm like, Hey, this really hurts. And I like started moving the ankle around and I was like, okay, I can move it. I can feel my toes. It's not broken. I don't think, you know, and I got up and it was pretty painful, but I had to hike. I mean, we had to get, there was like a half a mile before we could even get anywhere where I could get out of the woods. So then I like hobbled my way through that half mile and then eventually, or maybe a little bit more. And then eventually we found like a, we were able to find a way to get out that was shorter than the way we came in. So I went out that way and then my roommate went the other way, grabbed the car and swung around to the other um, entrance to the trail and grabbed me. But I mean, thankfully I could kind of walk on. I mean, I probably shouldn't have, but the reality is, is I was like, well, if I can't walk on it, like, I guess I live in the woods now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you always wanted was to be the woods witch in a little cottage. I did. It's perfect. And like, it made its choice for me. Uh, 
but yeah, so it's fine. It's just a really bad sprain, but they, because, because, of, because it's bad and, and the, the, the area affected, I can't wait bear on it for a week. So, so, I mean, the hike was still totally worth it. It was so beautiful. Um, and, and it was hard, but it was really fun and I'm glad I did it. But yeah, now it's a bitch because I'm trying to run around the house and do stuff, but uh, on like either hopping or sitting in a wheelie chair or on a, one of those like little knee scooter things. So if Hillary sounds like she's a little far away from her mic, it's because she is because she is literally laid up and still trying to record a damn podcast. Yeah. Look, I'm suffering for you all. So (laughs) my Venmo is, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) If it it makes you feel better, Hillary, I'm sitting in a backyard that is the beginning entrance of the Tillamook state forest with the sounds of the ocean in the background. So (laughs) that makes you feel better. You're such a douche. (laughs) That, that that's my current situation. Then I'm here to help you. Thank you know you. what this is? Kanani is just like the thought bubble over her head is this is why we don't hike. This is why we don't hike. This is why we never leave the house except to stare at the forest. We don't actually hike it. That's what I'm saying. I'm looking at it. I'm not walking through it. I'm staring at its beauty and its wonder. Thank you for your extraordinary suffering on my behalf. I'm, I'm here for the team. That's, that's what I do. You're so incredibly unhelpful. I this, she's been sending me like clips of the ocean. Like, look, I recorded the sound of the ocean. It's like I've heard the sound of the ocean. She's like, yeah, but you need to hear this sound. Oh yeah, but you're not here like I am. So let me share with you the wonder. I also uh, sent you some sounds of the amazing just sounds of the forest, so you can enjoy that. That's the angry squirrel, by the way. I was about to say, what is that chattering back there? Is the angry that's, squirrel? That's apparently uh, their squirrel, Walter, who gets angry <laughs> when they don't throw nuts out in the morning. And so apparently he will yell sometimes for hours on end until they throw out nuts. That's God, you got to be careful with those little bastards. They get very demanding. Yes. They do. They, they fucking eat the bird seed all the time here. And the birds, I'm like, get away. I put this up for the birds. It's not for you. Get away from it. They were telling us stories yesterday about how they buy like special, you know, nuts that they throw out for the birds and that this or that for the squirrels and that the squirrels uh, actually have to fight the blue jays for it because the blue jays will come oh, and come all the nuts. Yeah, oh, they're no God. joke. The blue jays are not to be messed with. You know what? This is so interesting. This is what I was going to talk about. Is uh, yesterday was my birthday. Happy and- birthday! Yay! Yay! I, yeah, as I was going out to take out the compost, because I'm still being responsible, even though it was my birthday, um, I saw a blue jay feather on the ground, which I, I took to be a, a sign for my grandfather, as I mentioned to people before that my, my dad talked about how right after um, his father passed away, there was this blue jay that was yelling at him. And he was like, well, my dad's always yelling at me. And now this blue jay is yelling at me. So that's must be my dad. And my grandfather and I shared absolutely the opposite politics. Oh my God. And so I'm sitting there on my front porch reading a book that aligns with my politics and there's a blue jay yelling at me. So that's, <laughs> that says to me that, um, that the blue jay is a, is a symbol of a visit from my grandfather. But I actually learned a couple of other things about blue jay um, in looking at, you know, it's always good to look at your, your native lore, like your regional native lore as to what the animal represents. And uh, this is just coming from a very basic web search. So I'm sure 
friends out there, I am missing a lot of, of nuance. This is just a very, very touch of some information. Um, so please do not say that I am a, uh, an expert on um, the Chinook symbolism for the Blue Jay, because I am not. But what I did read was that the Blue Jay is a trickster hero of the Chinook, the Chehalis, and other Northwest Coast tribes. It is generally a benevolent being who is helpful to humankind, but he is also extremely foolish and careless, and stories about him are often humorous or even slapstick in nature, which sounds like me, actually. Generally pretty kind, but usually, um, but oftentimes very foolish and careless. It's also a reminder to everybody, it is not legal to collect the feathers of migratory birds, so you should not do it. Um, I am just saying that I saw one and I thought it was very lovely. So, <laughs> so you're like, don't steal it. Just leave it alone. No, it is not. It is not legal to collect the feathers or any sort of pieces of the migratory birds. So, and I believe that the blue jay has um, some kind of migration. But um, so, Kanani, what are you doing at the coast this weekend? Well, we escape here quite frequently because my parent, my mother, and stepfather live out here. And one of my best friends also moved out here with her husband. You don't and have so, another best friend besides us. No, you don't. I That's know. I don't. It's not true. I, it's true. Just um, make, it to make her feel more special. It's fine. That's right. So we've got, and my uh, other best friend and goddaughter are here. And so we are just kind of having a fun day, which started yesterday, which involved the children adorably foraging through the forest while I walked around with my wine glass and my other friends looking in their uh, plant finder book and, uh, so, and my other friend had her phone app out looking at all the plants while I'm just stumbling around drinking my wine and thinking everyone's adorable. So that was our evening, which was super fun. And now we're going to spend most of the day at the beach. And um, I've been, I think it's the only thing that's kept me at all grounded or sane at this time has been since I've been able to escape to the beach because it is absolutely 100% my happy place. And I spent about an hour this morning just on the beach, sitting on a log, staring at the ocean. And it's probably, that is probably the closest that I get to a full meditative experience because I can genuinely sit and stare at the ocean and not think thoughts. And I can't think of a time that I can just sit in a room and have been able to find that kind of calm. But when I sit and stare into the ocean, I have that just immediate, just quiet and calm. And it's amazing. And it's, it's helped me tremendously getting through all the stress and chaos and whatnot. So it's, it's been pretty exciting to, you know, be able to, this will be my second podcast I've recorded outdoors. So that's, that's pretty fun to be able to kind of do that and just spend as much time outside as I can. So it's been, it's been pretty awesome. See, we always knew you were deep down a sea hag. Oh, you just 100%. needed to name it. 100%. Yeah. Same will say, what's your witchcraft tradition? Kanani says, sea hag. Exactly. Sea <laughs> hag, 100%. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I, would, I would totally, totally have been one of the sirens that just lures men to their death and just go, ha we all have dreams. Kanani finally articulates hers. Yeah, exactly. That 100%. That sounds like a good time to me. Well, anyway, we have a really exciting show today. Um, 
I hope somebody has a screaming goat ready because I'm about to fangirl all over our guest today. Jake Richards, who is the author of Backwoods Witchcraft, is coming on, which I, I cannot put the book down. And so we'll be talking about forest magic with him. Um, Hillary is going to talk with us about the magical uses of the herb mint. We have a really interesting listener question. We actually have two we're going to try to answer today. And Kanani is going to likely shit all over the witches of Eastwick. So there's a lot that's going on today. Um, first, Hillary is going to talk with us about mint, which I think is one of the things you're growing in your garden. It is one of the things I'm growing in my garden, although currently I'm trying to treat it for aphids, which is making me very angry. Uh-huh. Um, but mint is awesome. It's a, it's a very versatile herb. Um, outside of it being lovely to smell and lovely to put in things to drink or eat, um, it also has some really awesome uh, magical properties. It's really great for attracting money. Um, and one way that you can do that is you can put a, you can either rub it on money or like a, or, or something you pay money with, so like a card, or you can put some leaves in your wallet um, to attract money. Um, and it's also, it's also really good for, uh, protection specifically it with around sleep. So, um, I, I remember the first time I was introduced to it was actually, uh, in a little sachet that someone, cause I was having like just kind of rough dreams where I felt I would wake up feeling like kind of bogged down with energy that I didn't love. Um, and someone recommended, uh, that I put, put some in a little sachet and stuff it in my pillow. So you can take spearmint specifically is good for that. Um, which is what I am growing at the moment. Um, and you can put it in your, uh, yeah, you can put a little in your pillow or in your mattress and that's great for protecting you from energy while you sleep. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you can, you can burn it. it, So it can also be, uh, used to bring in positive energy. So like if you're coming into a new space and you want to kind of just get out that negative energy, clear it out and then bring in positivity and luck or money or success, or just kind of welcoming into a new home, you can burn it like as part of your incense. So it's another good way to do it. I mean, there's the list of things you can do with mint magically. I mean, I could, you know, spend 45 minutes talking about it, but I think those are some ways that I have, um, I have used it or just carrying it in general. Uh, sometimes I'll carry, if I'm, if I'm going to do something like if I'm applying for a job and I'm going to an interview or I'm going to something where I feel like I need a little bit of luck, sometimes I'll grab a little pouch and I'll put like a stone that is, is, uh, is kind of geared towards what I'm looking for. And then mint because it brings in luck or money or success. Uh, you can stuff it in there with the stones or just simply have it in a little pouch and carry it with you. So it's pretty versatile in that sense, but I think that it's, uh, you know, I, I think that it, is a good, uh, a good herb specifically, you know, I try and minimize sage use just for re- because of resource, um, and, uh, and impact. And so, uh, I've kind of started using some mint in when I'm doing like cleanse specifically cleansing around the house. The house I had like a million years ago, I was growing mint because I just, I, I, first of all, I love all things mint and I love the smell yeah. of mint. And one of the things they told me at the nursery where I bought it, which I thought was so cool and and I did it, was they said, one, it grows particularly well in the Pacific Northwest because it likes moist environments. And what I did and they they recommended, they did say you have to kind of watch it because it will spread because it's a ground cover. Yes, it will go crazy. crazy. What they recommended, which was very cool and, and I thought it looked so pretty when I did it, they recommend it's really great and fun to put it near like a downspout 
where like your water just kind of pools out when it rains because it loves moisture. And I don't know if that was a particular kind of mint that I had bought, but, and so I actually had, it was like the ground covering by where my downspout was because it would get so much moisture and it just, I, I had to kind of give it a little barrier because it just, it flourished, but it was so fun. And I used to just love to like rub my hands over it and then smell my hands and smell the mint. I just loved it. Yeah, it's really good. And you know, you, I mean, it, that's a good point and thanks for bringing that up. It will spread a lot. So I tend to put it in pot. I mean, I think it's good in pots. You can put it, if you want to grow a lot, you can get some pretty big pots um, that are cheap uh, at, at any sort of nursery or like I have for my whole garden, those uh, fabric uh, grow pots uh, is a good way to have a lot of space so that it can get nice and big without having it take over your whole yard. And I think there's also something that um, Christopher Penzak talks a lot about is paying attention to what herbs are growing around because they, they, they might indicate something magically that you need going on in the house. And I remember, Kanani, that your old house was so freaking haunted. So it makes sense. It was crazy. It makes sense why there was a lot of mint growing. It's kind of like, hello, do you need this? Yeah. I totally believe that because I've certainly had homes where I had actually one place that I was in that had some, some quite negative energy, had lemon balm everywhere, everywhere. It was everywhere. And I mean, I wish, I wish I had the knowledge when I was living in that place to recognize what that sign might mean to me. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, lemon, lemon mom's a bitch anyway, but like it was, it was a, it was an excess, excess, excess. Yeah. So, um, I think I might take you up on that, that suggestion about the mint. Cause my sleep lately has been so, so cranky and I've had some really strange dreams. So <laughs> seriously put and you know, sometimes I'll blend, sometimes I'll do a blend of herbs. Like if I want, you know, if I'm, you know, if I want some calm, you could let lavender and mint together are really great because lavender is very, I mean, obviously everyone knows it's very soothing. It has a lot of actually love, like, um, attracts a lot of love in it, but, but I also see love as being like care. So I've done a lavender mint combo before. So you could try that kind of like a nurture, a care of a soothe plus like a, you know, a protective, you know, get the hell out of my dreams scenario. Yeah, that's, that's going to be helpful. And I think, especially if you're like doing floor washes, doing it under the bed, it sounds like you would be a good way to do it as well. Yeah. Under the bed. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of floor washes. The only thing that I tell people to be cautious of is if they're doing floor washes to make sure whatever, if you have pets in the house, uh, that whatever herb you're using is, is pet friendly. It's very easy to find. You can literally just Google mint and dogs, you know, like it's like, and it'll tell you, like, if you're like mugwort and dogs, lavender and dogs, it'll tell you uh, if there are herbs. There are lots of herbs that are dangerous to pets. So just if you're doing a floor wash, make sure um, that you that you pay attention to that. But the other thing is, I, I've had I've done floor washes before when I had pets, and I and I put I just it's barely put anything yeah. in there, like so little. Like I just dunked the herb in for thirty seconds. And then for not even for two seconds and pulled it out. So it doesn't have to be saturated. You know, if you're, if you're looking at, um, something that, you know, might damage your hardwood floors is another thing to pay attention to, but you, you don't have to put that much in. So it can be yeah. just a very small amount. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Hillary. That's, that's going to be helpful for me as well. No problem. So I want to turn us to our listener question our first listener question, which was, hi, I did some research on my astrological chart and I am a Leo sun, Aries rising and Capricorn moon. 
I would not want to fuck with you, my friend. That is a very powerful combination. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh. Anytime I see somebody with a Capricorn moon and Aries rising, I'm like, whoa, okay. And then the Leo, by the way, happy birthday as we're coming into Leo season. Lilith is my black moon and my Capricorn sign. I have always been drawn to Lilith, but everything I can find on her is related to Satan. And I'm nowhere near close to worshiping Satan. I grew up Christian and still believe in God and Jesus, but I am more drawn to nature and elemental magic and worship. Is Lilith a dangerous goddess to work with in magic? Is she good and misunderstood? Thank you. I love your podcast. Also, I have no gods or spirits I work with at the moment. Well, thank you. We love you too. If you listen to us, we love you. Uh-huh. So I always have so much to say when somebody asks if a god is, is dangerous or good and misunderstood. Okay, so whenever you're looking at a pre-Christian god or goddess, you've got to understand that they are going to be incredibly complex and nuanced. It's really Christianity um, was this brought in the idea of gods being either good or bad, and that there really is only one good god, and then everything else is bad. And that kind of mentality has really affected how a lot of contemporary witchcraft or contemporary pagan gods and goddesses are viewed. It's really important to understand that outside of the Judeo-Christian tradition, gods are not good or bad. They are just, they are com complicated as, as human beings are. They are in some ways really magnifications of the human being. Now, Lilith is a very interesting one. And especially someone with a Christian background, I can see why Lilith would be coming in. So first of all, Lilith and Satan are not related in any sort of tangible way um, for the very sense of their history with others. Satan, it's um, as a demonic being, um, is actually pretty late to the game, certainly much more in Christianity, where Lilith is much more Old Testament. Um, she may have been a Babylonian goddess, um, so we're talking very, very old pre-Christian. She alternatively might have been an old god of Judaism. Now, before Judaism was monotheistic, um, Judaism was actually a polytheistic religion. And uh, uh, there's a, um, a religious scholar named Karen Armstrong who has written on this. Um, and you can actually see that in the Bible in which they melted down the golden calf because they basically, it is thought by some schools of thought that the old fertility gods and um, of gods of other, uh, of other uh, different parts of Judaism were essentially removed from the religion and then Yahweh was considered the central God. I mean, there's even, there's a, there's a lot of complaining in the Bible about worship of Asherah, the wife of God. And then you're looking in um, archeology, span a lot of symbolism for her. So there was the goddess characters within Judaism. Now Lilith, the common story about her, um, and I'm, I'm not, I haven't verified how true this is to the original Lilith story, was that she was the first wife of Adam and she was not into missionary sex. Um, and so she wanted to be on top. So whether that is an, as an actual thing that was a problem for them in the bedroom or that was a symbolism of that she wanted to be equal to Adam and not just to be his, you know, his right-hand person, um, that's up for a lot of debate. So Lilith was often demonized because she refused to submit to patriarchy. She often also was blamed for things that um, people didn't understand um, the screech owl, she was often synonymous with called the demon queen or the night, the night terror, because she would represent things like, uh, like screech owls, things that were very frightening to hear in the night. And she was also blamed for nocturnal emissions for things that were not, um, could have, that were natural to the human body, but that people didn't understand what was going on. And so it was thought that if a man uh, or a penis having person ejaculated in their sleep, that it was Lilith coming to collect the semen so she could make babies with it. So 
those are some of the stories that are going on about Lilith. Um, what I would say is that she is, she is a, a pre-Judeo, like pre-Judeo-Christian in the way that we understand Judeo-Christian gods to believe. So she is going to have some incredibly powerful benevolent attributes. And she's also going to be the patronage of things that are, are rather uncomfortable. That is the reality about pre-Christian gods or goddesses. And it's not connected to anything that is, um, is it, again, Satan doesn't really factor into her story at all. Um, if you want more information, I would check out the When God Was Queer podcast. Um, there, there, Dakota St. Clair did an episode where Lilith was discussed. I believe it was episode seven, might have been episode six, but definitely listen to episode seven, Infernal Allies, where they talk a little, where um, Dakota talks a little bit more about Lilith and her identity. So she is complicated. Um, and the, the instances that I've had with her, she has been incredibly kind. She really, my cat's name was Lilith and she inserted herself in my life because I had a cat named Lilith and she brought me a lot of graces to help care for this cat. So I would not call her evil by any means. Complicated. Yes. But again, all gods and goddesses are complicated. Even Yahweh in the old Testament could be a real douchebag sometimes because in some ways he's helping people. In other ways he's at, he's either drowning everybody in a flood or he's asking his priest to kill his son. So, you know, even Yahweh had his moments where he was not always the greatest guy to be around. So keep into that. What I would suggest you do, and it would be good to hear from Kanani and, and Hillary on this, is introduce yourself to her. Um, leave her an offering. In my mind, I'm seeing things that are kind of a, like a dark red color, um, wine or grape juice, um, red flowers, that sort of thing. Offer them to her at night because that's her time and just say, hey, we're obviously connected because you're my black moon. I'd like to know more about you. You know, this does not mean that you have to devote yourself to her or that um, she's going to be a difficult goddess to get rid of if she, you know, comes and introduces herself. It's just kind of imagine like you're having coffee with someone you'd like to know better. And um, I'm curious to see how it goes for you. You've got a very powerful chart. And so it doesn't surprise me at all this goddess is connected with you. Um, hey, I've been talking for a while. What do my friends think? I mean, in my opinion, that maybe that that is there's to look into that and try and figure out, or maybe kind of try and focus on maybe what that is trying to tell you. And I agree that an offering would be a great idea because I think that when we have these interactions with, with deities, I think it's important to, to acknowledge them and thank them because they're usually coming there to, tell you something, give you some sort of insight, interact with you in some way, open your eyes to something. And, and that, that thing that they're doing is work and, and people deserve to get paid for their work. So I think we can honor them. And I agree. I, the dark red is a great thing. I, I automatically saw like, like dark roses or, um, or there are some, even some flowers that I've seen growing, you know, like wildflowers that are pretty dark red, or I, I love the idea of wine. All of those things are super, uh, you know, super easy to access. But I think that's a really good reminder for us all that when we have, I mean, if we're having this really big draw to a, a, a god or a goddess, you know, I think that it's it's important to to give them something as a thank you because they're not really going to want to work for you if you're like, do all the work for me and I do nothing for you. One of the things that, that's very difficult when you start kind of looking into this kind of stuff um is, is the lens that you're looking at it. And when you're coming from that kind of a Judeo-Christian background, you are looking at it through a very specific lens that 
that has been has been minimized like immensely. And so the 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 que- the things that you're looking at um there's a lot you have to kind of unlearn and kind of open your mind to because the people who have, you know, long before there ever was, you know, Judaism and Christianity, there was, you know, other beliefs and a lot of these dogmas and you know, good, bad, black, white things that, that kind of everyone's been indoctrinated into those, those just didn't exist. I mean, nature is chaos. Nature is amazing. Nature is scary. It's all of the above and it, it doesn't make it good or bad. And so I think if it's something that interests you and it's something that, that calls out to you, then hundred percent, um, I think that you you should look into it and read about it and learn about it and try and try and when you're drawn to something, try and not necessarily think, is this bad? Is this good? Is this bad? Because everything's more complicated than that. Everything can have good and bad. And so when you kind of look at things through that lens, I think you really, one, I think you freak yourself out, but two, I think you also do a disservice by possibly not opening your up to things um, because of a kind of a misunderstanding of of this black and white nature of life. When anyone who's lived life understands, you know, once you're an adult, life is not black and white. And so I definitely would encourage you to, you know, explore things that interest you and and keep things in your in your belief system and pantheon that work for you and that that make you feel good and and but be open to you know understanding that you know, everything isn't just black and white and, and kind of try and open the lens of how you're viewing and searching things. Yeah. And I also think too, you know, um, as we've mentioned before on this podcast, many times we, there are lots of, uh, witches that work with deities, but are still, still believe in God and still are practice Christianity. So don't, don't feel like if you're doing, if you're exploring a, a de- another deity if you're exploring a go- it's Lilith in this case that doesn't take away from your current belief system or make that belief system any less valid you know those things can exist at the same time absolutely and I see that a lot among my my friends that come from more Latinx backgrounds that there's a, a very um a gentle blending of these things or or people that yep. are priests and priestesses of Hakate um, have no problem then going to a Catholic mass and then lighting a candle to St. Michael. There's a lot of room and which is why I'm really great that uh, it's really great that Jake is coming on because he is uh, coming from this Appalachian folk tradition, a lot of blending there. So absolutely. Um, so thank you for that question. Again, if anybody has questions like that, absolutely send this to us. We have a contact form on our website, thatwitchlife.com. And it always gives us something interesting to think about or talk about. Um, meanwhile, we're moving to the segment of the show that makes everybody cringe a little bit. Kanani reviews a movie oh. the rest of the world has already seen. And I am terrified for this one. I'm, I'm terrified. So uh, Kanani is going to review The Witches of Eastwick. Okay. So. I always worry. She goes, okay, so. No shit. <laughs> the movie is about three friends who live in a small town. And when they come together and kind of all think the same thing at the same time, they find that whatever they're thinking manifests. So at no point do they refer to themselves as witches. 
Um, and there isn't like shown through most of the movie there. It isn't showing them practicing magic or something. So the cast, first of all, was stacked. It was Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, Cher, who, who doesn't love Cher literally and Jack Nicholson. So it was, it was a phenomenal cast. Um, I, in the beginning of the movie, the thing that I liked, I, I, I have mixed feelings. The thing that I liked in the beginning of the movie was I love how they portrayed it in, in that the true nature of, of their, their witchcraft and their experience was their bond, their closeness and, and that bonds and that those deep roots together, that ability to then manifest because I felt like that was a very, um, kind of poetic inter- interpretation of witchcraft. And, and what's funny is, you know, and, and to me it was also true because it didn't show a whole lot of, of ritualistic elements to it. It just was the ability of that power of mind to, to get together and to manifest. I loved, I'm going to say, all but about the last 10 minutes of the movie. In the movie they meet, they, they, they kind of make a wish for a man to come. And so a man comes into town and it's Jack Nicholson. And then they all kind of end up in this uh, thruple relationship where they're all kind of uh, together and, and they just kind of are, are in love with him and infatuated with him. He's in love with them, infatuated with him. And in the movie, they uh, kind of identify him as, as he's actually the devil. So he's come and he's communing with witches. So that aggravates me because I always get aggravated anytime they have, but this all, but also it's the things that I didn't like, I think are the period, period elements of that's kind of how you had to do it back then. And so the witches are immediately intertwined with the devil, which always aggravates me because witchcraft has nothing to do with the devil. Um, but I loved the movie. I thought it was really good, but then I hated it at the end because in the end, once they realize that he's, the devil and he's doing things to harm them, they have to make him go away. And so then they make him, they then do some active spell work and create a poppet and, and destroy him or make him go away, I should say. And, but then, and so I loved all of that. I was, I was there for the movie the whole time, but then at the end, what his objective was, was to have impregnated all three women so that his seed could carry on. And in the end, they all three have his children and they talk about in like the last moments of the movie how they they miss him and they still kind of are pining for him and that infuriated me to no end i don't know if that was just like my feminist aspect but i'm like when a man tries to destroy you you uh, don't have his children and then pine for him years later like that's just not what we do so <laughs> 98% of the movie i was down for and i absolutely loved and the cast was was fantastic but the ending made me so angry. I had a hard time falling asleep. When did this come out? This was like the late seventies or early eighties. No, it was eighties. It was definitely eighties. Okay, so it was like probably the height of the satanic panic. Yes, yes. So that, and and like I said, it, it was the the period element is why, yeah. of course, they attributed the witches had to be with the guy. Couldn't have just been a guy, right? It, he had to be the devil. And um, and then, like I said, then not only do they have they bear his children. But then they're like pining for him. And I'm just like, no, no, 
No, that's not what we do. Yeah, it came out in 87. Okay, that is definitely Hide a Satanic Panic. I'm sorry, Kanani, you couldn't sleep because you were angry. I was so angry. You needed mint under your pillow. I'm like, we do not have his babies and then pine for him after we try to kill our friend. We just don't do that. That's not how we roll. (laughs) All right. Well, guess what, guys? It's time for a sponsorship break because we have sponsors now because we're a real podcast. Yeah, we are so excited. We want to thank Keen for sponsoring this episode. I do a lot of tarot readings, but many times I want someone to read my cards. So when I need outside perspective via a professional, accurate psychic reading, I've started calling Keen. I really like Keen because it provides access to vetted psychics and spiritual advisors who provide guidance and insight on life's challenges, clarity and love, relationships, career, and more. My schedule is all over the place, so I appreciate that Keen advisors are available 24-7. There's always someone online, so you can easily schedule a call with an advisor. My most recent advisor with Queen Sunshine, who was super sweet and tuned into me right away, giving me an insightful, accurate reading that was incredibly helpful when I was confused about a couple of things in my life. Keen has so many great psychics to choose from. When you find the right advisor, developing an ongoing relationship leads to a number of benefits, monthly intention setting, gaining clarity on the significance of synchronicities, chakra clearing, or just getting a little bit of outside insight, given you already know what your Yahoo best friends are going to say. And as many of you may know, psychic readings can be very expensive. The good news is that Keen is the most affordable way to meet new advisors. Each week, Keen sends its users discounts on readings, making Keen one of the most affordable ways to receive multiple psychic readings. If you are a current Keen user, check your email to see this week's discounts. And as a new Keen customer and a devoted listener of That Which Life podcast, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99. Pricing then depends on which advisor you choose, and the services are backed with satisfaction guarantee. Try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, Go to trykeen.com forward slash that witch life. Keen, because you deserve answers. Thanks again to Keen for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I am so excited to introduce our guest, who this poor person has heard from me more than the last three days than either one of Kanani or Hillary combined. And this is Jake Richards, the author of Backwoods Witchcraft. Jake grew up in the foothills and mountains of East Tennessee knee-deep in the creek mud, one day looking out from the Blue uh, Big Ridge Mountain. He is Melungeon, a group of tri-racial folks in the corner of East Tennessee who have always held magic and stories close to us. His maternal grandfather was a freewill Baptist preacher who cured warts, charmed blood, talked out fire, and had the sight. Most of his grandmother's dream to true and knew a remedy for just about anything that included Vicks rub in some form. His mother is a seventh daughter and has always had a healing touch, particularly with children. Her mother had the sight and her father was the preacher. Jake's papa's mother, Mama Siegel, always had oil lamps burning with dirt in the basin, as Mama called it. Nana's father, James, believed he was, he believed, was a conjurer of some sort due to a photo they found of him posed before an old country backdrop holding a plastic doll baby wrapped in some kind of fabric with black feathers attached to the back of the doll. Jake's grandfathers were farmers who planted by the signs, who carried roots and coon hats for good game and hunting, and water witch to locate wells and springs with sunny side twigs. As time has gone by and most of his elders have passed away, 
Jake has dedicated his life to the teaching, preservation, and practice of Appalachian folk magic and has worked these roots for a little more than a decade. His knowledge is gleaned from family stories, his mother and grandmothers, and folk he's come across growing up in his own studies. Today, most folks know him as Old Buck or Dr. Buck. Jake, thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, this book, I, I rarely have a witchcraft book that I just can't put down. And um, I've spent the last two days just tearing through this and texting people, texting friends in Ireland, and then texting my sister and my mom. My mom thinks I'm, I'm a little nuts, by the way. She's looking at <laughs> of all of this. But um, it's really been helpful for me because my family comes from the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. And some of the things you mentioned, I thought were just quirky things that they had. Um, one of them in particular was that my mom will not let us put out a candle unless we burn the wick a little bit. Like we cannot have white candle wicks. And she always said because it was tacky. And my sister and I would make fun of her for that. And then I actually learned that's, that's an old Appalachian custom. That it's bad luck to have a white wick on a candle. Yeah, it was. We were always told that my grandmother had hordes of candles that I don't know why she had them. Because uh, I never seen her, you know, burning like uh, there's there's like these really extra extra long taper candles. Yes, and they're like Christmas red, and yes. we found them in the uh, linen closet, and all of the wicks were burned, but they were they, she never, you know, actually used them or put them out during holidays or anything like that. Yeah, that that like always drove me crazy is when I go to people's houses and I'd see their decorative candles, but the wicks were white. I'm like, why do you do that? You're not supposed to do that. And it never occurred to me. And I'm reading through this going, oh, 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 all these different things that are coming together, which I'm sure I'll gush about as we go on. So um, the first question we always ask our guests is, when did you first realize you were a witch or a magical person? Well, that's a loaded question with my family. Because um, <laughs> see, growing up, we always, we always did weird things like that. And I just thought, um, you know, like putting salt at the windows or the doors or, you know, just other stuff like that that just made us look like kooks to our neighbors. And it was probably after my Pavel died of his seventh heart attack that Nana got to talking about how he could, uh, you know, stop the flow of blood with like a bobble horse and stuff. And that's really when I, when I started looking into it more. And, well, I looked into it for like a little bit and then I basically got bored but then I uh, basically learned about the whole New Age movement and like modern witchcrafts and everything like that. And then that kind of like recalled things back to me. You know, there were similarities in modern witchcraft as there was in folklore because a lot of it is gleaned from, you know, European folklore. And that's really what got me, you know, started looking into it more. So um, one of the things we've been talking about in um – in, in the show today is um, about forest magic. And one of um, the, and all three of us have said that the forest holds a, a very powerful for magic forest. And certainly in your book, that's very apparent. Um, but for our listeners, could you talk to us about what role the forest has in your magic? You're saying forest, like the woods? Yes, correct. Okay. Um, well, the, essentially the, well, back in the day, the woods were, you know, the primary environment because the mountains here are covered in them, um, and they could be very dangerous places, especially at night when, you know, like wolves and panthers roam these hills. 
before they were hunted to extinction. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of, um, I don't know what you would call it, like strange occurrences that occur with, you know, the growth of particular plants or trees. And because they, you know, held medicine, they became of importance to our ancestors, regardless of, you know, their nationality, whether they were Cherokee, immigrants, whatever it may be. And that just added to the spiritual aspect of it as well, uh, especially with, uh, like, the, the Cherokee, James Mooney notes in uh, Myths of the Cherokee, that certain trees or, like, per, like weird, strange formations of trees held significance to the Cherokee. Um, like, I know that they would carry or use the, uh, the what are they called? It's like the when the ferns are coming up in the spring before the leaves fully uncurl, they would use those for rheumatism, um, basically to help straighten the joints out. Mm-hmm. So there, it's always been like a, there's always been a, a sympathetic nature to the forest, mm-hmm. like um, like effects like or as above so below in modern terms. So in all actuality, the you know the, the woods and the forests and the hills are the they are the shapers of the folk magics that, you know, brood here, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And so, so here's a question. I'm wondering um, if you can answer this. So I'm wondering what might be specific about the magic of the woods that might be, say, like different than, say, the magic of the ocean. Or is there a difference? I mean, Kanani is as at the Oregon coast right now, and she was saying, sitting out and, and looking at the ocean for a while. Um, and so I'm wondering if there's, there's a difference between like the different ecosystems. I've also found a lot of power in the desert, but there's definitely a different energy there. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to that about what is specific about, um, the magic of the woods that might be different from an oceanic or a desert landscape. Well, I think in particular with the Appalachian region, um, cause I, cause I used to travel for work. So I've been all over the country and it is definitely one of the most, you know, particular spiritual places in America. And I think it has a lot to do with the physical abundance of life here. Mm. Um, a lot of, uh, what do you call them? It's like the people that stay plants and stuff. Botanists, I think they're called, mm-hmm. um, you know, have concluded that, that the region of Southern Appalachia and Northern Appalachia are some of the most abundant places on earth when it comes to, you know, plants as well as animals. Um, so I think that contributes a lot to the, you know, like the actual spirit of the place. And considering, you know, it was one of the first environments which our immigrant ancestors met on the frontier, it kind of holds a just a different spirit altogether than, you know, from like the deserts of Nevada. So, and one of the things that I, um, and you know, noticed in your work and also in other interviews that you've given, you're very tied to your ancestral land. Um, and I know my family lived there for about you know, good 300 years back in, in North Carolina. Um, but we moved out to Oregon when I was six years old. And I know there's a lot of witches like me that are not living on lands that are ancestral to them. Um, and so much of, of Appalachian magic and, and, woods, and woods magic, as you talk about in your book, is so much tied to ancestry. So how do you recommend witches connect with the lands around them if they don't have a generational connection to that land. I would think the best way to begin connecting with the land is by understanding the land and how like the plants and the animals live on it and utilize the resources on it. Um, 
And by finding that, you can, you know, see the local connections between animals and plants through, like, water sources, uh, rivers, um, mountains, and you can see the interrelations between all of them. I I think that really, you know, holds an impact because once you can see the interrelations of that, uh, you know, invisible web of a particular land or region, then you can also essentially make it easier to find your own place there as well, especially Mm -hmm. if you don't have like, um, you know, ancestral bloodlines that have tilled or worked the land to begin with because, you know, somebody has to start on a land to begin with in any era. And especially by learning, you know, the particular uh, uses of plants and, you know, even some uh, animal parts that were used in medicine, then uh, usually in basically every region, um, you know, from you know the last three, four hundred years that America has been established, you can usually find local folklore and local medicine, regardless of whatever state you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's kind of like a, a record of the people who you know have lived on that land, who have worked on that land, and who have learned from the land about what medicines you know are helpful and what medicines aren't. If that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly makes sense to me. Um, what are some mistakes that you see witches making with woods magic? Uh, well, what I would say first and foremost is if they're, you know, making any kind of mistakes here in Appalachia, um, I would, you know, first and foremost, always watch out for the smell of cucumbers. Cause that, you know, usually means that there's a copperhead nearby. Oh. Um, and a lot, a lot of people today do not take in, you know, they don't, they don't take in their surroundings, um, whether physical or spiritual. And especially when you're going into, you know, uh, another domain like that, that's, you know, away from mankind, away from humanity, you need to realize that you're not the only one there, especially on old pieces of land like Appalachia, because these mountains have been here since the beginning of time. They used to tower the Himalayas. Lord knows what lived here, what what died here, what was never born but lives here, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that makes that makes such clear sense to me because – you know, I think I spend a lot of time, I do a lot of, uh, I, I find a lot of power in the woods and I spend a lot of time out in nature, specifically in forested areas. And I think it's really, I think to your point, it's really important that you understand uh, the history of the land, both from a like ecological, but also from a, from a historical and spiritual perspective. Like if you're going to go into yeah. this land and you're going to, uh, utilize the magic that exists on it. You know, I think it's really important to acknowledge like the history of that land, both from uh, ancestral perspective, even if it's not your ancestors, like doing some understanding, like maybe what indigenous tribes were there originally, what people owned the land throughout history, kind of to understand the culture around the land from a, from a human perspective. But again, there's so much, uh, I think, power in in the in the like eco dynamic in the forest between again plants and animals and how those two things exist and coexist that if we walk in there and we're like oh sweet let me take some of this plant over here and i'm gonna go like try you know if you're not then respecting kind of the reverence of the woods and i think it's really important to, to honor that and i think you know that's such a good point you know well i think it's especially today, I, I think it's i'm sorry Oh, sorry. I think it's a phenomenal and like one of the most important points you can make 
is before you even attempt to think about the culture or the spirituality of, of, of roaming the forest or doing anything involving nature, the first thing that you need to do is respect the basic biological elements of nature. You need to know what type of animals live there that you might encounter. You need to know what kind of poisonous plants are there that you might encounter. There are different parts of the country. Like, for example, I've never gone to any river or lake and worried about crocodiles, right? I live in the Pacific Northwest. They don't exist here. There are other places that you can go and you don't get to just hop in the river or hop in the lake because there might be things that, you know, can kill you. And so- Or things that you can harm. Or things that you can harm. But, But it's, you know- Nature is beautiful and nature is amazing and water and, and forests, but there is, there is danger that exists and it's fine that it exists because that's its home. So you need to be respectful of the fact that it, nature is not just there for your spiritual and viewing pleasure. It is its own life force and its own life system. And if you are then going to get into that, you are now in its space and you need to know what to expect and you need to respect that. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the main issues with people, you know, going especially going into a brand new environment that they do not know uh, personally nor historically through their family, is they need to understand that the the dangers that they pose to that environment. Because um, still today, there's still a lot of people who like to go and you know go to the creeks and rivers and try and catch salamanders, even though their numbers here are drastically decreasing. Um, and and they will also go and, you know, harvest plants that are, you know, endangered. Um, so I think that is uh, another thing that people need to understand is that they don't need to, fo- you know, not only focus on the dangers that, you know, the mountain or the hills can pose to them, but the danger that they can pose to it as well. And I feel like that's an evolution in in magic, at least for this generation, is that that a lot of times the, the great act of connecting with a plant may not be taking that plant, but in planting that plant, right? And so, for example, say that there are, um, what I've been trying to do with, with where I live is plant as many native plants as possible and at least keep our property free of invasive plants. I can't control what's happening in state forests. Um, that I have to just leave to the rangers and professionals. But what I can do is um, plant as many native plants as I can on my property. And I'm noticing that they're starting to pop up in other places. So whether these native plants are traveling from my yard to someone else's or they're just growing in, in my area, that to me, instead of taking that energy, is I'm putting it back. And that's created a greater bond for me, I think, than if if I were taking things. Exactly. And one of the... That's also another one of the things that I implement in Backwoods is that a lot of people, especially uh, people who still go hunt for ginseng and sell the roots off to, you know, different companies. Uh, I know there's one down in uh, Roan Mountain. Um, they will, you know, always pass at least the the seven first plants that they find. Um, and, you know, also, uh, you know, check the age of the plant. And when, once they harvest it, they plant the berry back mm. um and that was a thing that was implemented by the cherokee is passing the set the first seven plants and then harvesting what only what you need that way it ensures that you know those plants will be there for the 
the uh, generations to come. One of the things that uh, switching topics a little bit here, I wanted to ask about some um, of the of the practices outlined in Backwoods Witchcraft, and a lot of them are connected uh, to the Bible. Which you know, someone with my mom being Southern Baptist and being raised with um, that influence, I know that the that um, Bible work can be very uh, traumatic for some individuals who have had um, negative experiences with with Christianity. I know for me. My husband jokes when I bring out the Bible, something's going down because it's so full of magic. It's so full of spells. He's like, oh, shit, <laughs> someone's going to get it now because Courtney's got the Bible out. But um, what have, for those people who are that even maybe they come from Appalachian roots or they want to or they're inspired by the work, but they're having trouble with the biblical part of it. Is there room to how do, how do you? How do you suggest people navigate that if they're if they're struggling with that part of it? Well, the the only thing I can offer is my own research and my own uh, like like the way that I came to terms with it um, is if they're studying the actual Bible. One thing that I one book that I do recommend is I cannot remember the author's name. I think his last name is Fraser. Folklore in the Old Testament, and it talks about things ranging from uh, you know them them casting lots in the Bible. Um, to, uh, I think it was Joseph's or Jacob's divination cup. Um, and it relates to, relates all of the things in the Bible to the local folklore in Israel and Canaan at the time, especially the old folk belief that the, uh, spit or saliva of a firstborn child had amazing healing qualities. And we see that exemplified in the, uh, Testament when Jesus healed the, the blind man with spit and mud. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only was that, you know, a form of folk magic that he utilized, but it was also a way to um, basically confirm to his critics that he was indeed the firstborn child of Mary. Mm-hmm. Because of prophecy, uh, I think the, the like the prophecy or whatever that spoke of Jesus coming, uh, spoke of a firstborn child. So with that, and then you can also see, you know, throughout the Bible, um, where Jesus like curses the fig tree or, or anything like that. And he also says, you know, anything um, that is said in my name, you sh- asking, you shall receive knocking. It will be, uh, the door will be opened. Um, and saying that uh, his disciples and anyone who follows him can do the same things he did and even greater works. That he's, he's offering this knowledge about how to do this work. Exactly. Um, and one of the biggest things that you can see throughout the Bible is its bias in regards to witchcraft and magic, because the you know the the priests of the temple were able to you know practice certain arts that were um, you know acceptable because it was it, it was sought, seen as good in God's eyes, whereas the magic and witchcraft of the uh, other neighboring you know cultures and tribes, especially the Egyptians, were said to be of the devil, the enemy. Hmm. And you can even see in Leviticus, like I, I believe I talk about it in Backwoods, uh, in the section on side rights, um, you can see where they heal leprosy using the blood of a dove that's anointed on the, on the tip of the right ear, uh, the left or the right thumb, and then the right big toe, I believe. Um, you know, taking the dove through the unclean house and then letting it go. And one of the things that's exemplified a lot in the Bible that I talked about in Backwoods is that faith is required. Mm. And, and you know, faith in, 
you know, Christian American folk magic is no different than, you know, modern Wicca saying that, you know, when you cast a spell, you have to believe that you already have it. That's the same thing. It's, it's, it's faith, no matter, you know, what you're doing, what faith, you know, you're, uh, you know, taking it under. And it's, it's, it's even exemplified in Jesus and his healings when the lepers call to him and ask, you know, for, for him to heal them. And, and he says, do you believe that I can do this? And, he, and they say, yea, Lord, I do. And then he says, then uh, according to your faith, you are healed. Especially with the, um, I can't remember who, if it names her, but she was a woman who grabbed his robe uh, in a crowd. And, you know, he looks around, you know, saying who, who you know, grabbed at my garment. And it was a woman who, I believe it was where her menses hadn't come upon her. And she grabbed at his robe in faith that by touching his robe, her, you know, body would be healed. And he says the same thing to her, uh, you know, according to your faith, you have been made whole. So even Jesus himself required faith. Mm. And that that is another reason why um, in northern Appalachia, especially in uh, Holman's works, The Long Lost Friend, the patient has to have faith mm-hmm. because it it's basically the key to the um, the unconscious, if that makes any sense. I, mean, I think that's one of the main bases uh, behind basically all of superstition around the entire world is when a people does a certain thing for such a long period of time, that adds power into the act itself, like knocking on wood or mm-hmm. hanging a horseshoe up above your door. Mm. And that that's... That's one of the distinctions that I make between folk magic and conjuring my second book uh, is that folk magic is just these, you know, little tiny acts where, you know, nothing necessarily has to be said. You don't have to hop on wood one foot and turn around a bunch of times. Just the simple act of hanging a horseshoe above your door has such power in it because people across, you know, many different cultures have done it for centuries, if not millennia, mm-hmm. by the simple belief that, you know, it'll keep out witches and witchcraft and conjuring and evil spirits and keep your good luck up. So, um, Jake, we had a listener question and I had a sense you might be able to help us answer it. So let me read it out and and you tell us what you think. Um, I love this listener, by the way, they just sound adorable. So not sure if this is something you'd consider in covering in your show. Almost always we say yes, but I had a bit of an issue with a spell long ago, a while ago. It was a good luck jar spell but more the kind of luck where you had a fun and interesting day, like you'd find money on the ground or have an insightful conversation with a stranger or accidentally get to work early so you had time to get a muffin. I put the details of the jar below. For luck, basil, chamomile, cinnamon. For granting wishes, dandelion and bay leaf. For adventure, ginger. To attract positive energy, sugar. To ground the spell, salt and rosemary. It also had an incantation. Good luck and fortune I call to me that this day be filled with adventure and glee, so mote it be. So I put this jar together, but the first time I used it, that day I was making black witch's salt in the kitchen when my mom got home from work early. I was in the broom closet at the time and she almost busted me and it was pretty scary scrambling to hide all my jars and book of shadows. But it was actually a shock that I needed and that evening I came out as a witch to my family and all went pretty well. Yay! It seemed like it seemed to me to be an off tangent effect of the spell. It shook up your day, but not in a fun way like I intended. It just went full on the tower from the tarot at me. I've been too scared to use the spell since. 
Did I mess up the creation of the jar? Can you tinker or fix the spell like that? Or do you need to start from scratch? If I wanted to make another similar spell to do the same thing, what could I do differently? Thanks very much for your time. And I love the podcast very much. Oh, we love being loved. We love being loved. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, So it sounds to me, Jake, that this person did a spell and it brought a very unintended result but now they're afraid to use it again. And so it sounds like they're wondering if they should tinker or fix it or does this person need to start over because they're afraid, like, what else is this, is this jar going to do? What do you think this, um, this witch should do with their spell? Well, the only thing from the ingredients that really stood out to me was the ginger. Um, and ginger is usually added to add uh, a lot of power to things, but it also has that, uh, that fiery taste taste to it so it also has that fiery nature of you know getting things to go boom and if if they were making you know the the black witch's salt with charcoal uh charcoal also has uh that same same effect of getting things to ignite Mm. um so so if they want to use it again but with you know uh a bit bit lesser of uh you know, potency, I would uh, possibly remove the, the ginger completely because it sounds like, you know, there's, there's, an, there's enough herbs there to, uh, you know, get, get exactly what you're going after. The other thing that my first thought when I read this was that sometimes spells give you what you need. Yeah, which isn't <laughs> which isn't necessarily what you were intending. So you might end up getting what it is you're asking for, but what you might end up getting is something that you actually needed more, and and so that's what manifests. Not necessarily, um, you know, she was thinking of of something just kind of for luck in general, and and you know the the universe is kind of like, well, what you really need is is to come out of the closet. So this is this is what we're going to make <laughs> manifest now. Yeah. So you. you I think it's it would be disingenuous to say that just because you do a spell and and use X ingredients and do it exactly this way means you're it's going to be the outcome in which you anticipated. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to do everything exactly the way it was supposed to happen and you're going to get an outcome that is maybe what was best and meant for you but not necessarily what you had anticipated. Exactly. And yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I feel like sometimes magic gives you uh, when, what you need rather than what you intend. Uh, but I do agree with the ginger comment. Ginger is, uh, you know, if you're looking to have kind of a like lighthearted, fun, interesting, like ginger is like a, a power punch in my book. Like, you know, it's like, it's really, uh, it's not a light, it's not something I use lightly. Uh, and so I, I agree that like, you know, for a maybe less like punch or impact you know if 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 someone wanted to do just like oh i just want to bring in some really light fun energy like ginger is like a real (laughs) this will be fun let's let mom catch you doing your witchcraft that'll be fun (laughs) don't take the don't don't take out the punch you in the taint ingredients those are the ones that really drive the point home the ones that just whoa those are the good ones. I mean, Let's take those out. Let's not discourage. I mean, Let's be but, supportive. But sometimes you don't want to back. I mean, sometimes you don't aren't looking for that kind of punch, you know? I mean, I know for me, like, there are certain herbs that I don't use unless I, re- like, like, not every spell, for at least for me personally, not every spell 
needs that power punch behind it. Like sometimes I'm just trying to do a very simple thing. And I, I agree uh, with Jake that like that, that ginger could have just kind of, it blew your shit up. Like <laughs> it blew everything yeah. up in a good way. It also way. depends on exactly how much ginger was used. Cause with ginger, a little bit goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. And like, you know, it, it blew up in a good way. I mean, the the end result was that you were, that this listener was able to be, you know, open about their practice and, 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 and then in turn, you know, have an existence where they could be more authentic with themselves, you know, and the people around them. Um, so that's not necessarily a negative, you know, uh, outcome, but yeah, I agree that if you were to put a ton of ginger in something like that, Again, I mean, it's the same way, like if you eat, if, if I were making, I mean, it, I, I think with herbs, like it can go, it's, it can, it can relate to what it does medicinally. It can relate to what it does magically. It, it can relate to what it does from a flavor perspective. Like if you were to put an entire giant thing of ginger in something you were making, that's the only thing that would, you would taste, right? So mm. if you're putting too much ginger into that spell that might be the element that takes over, you know, like it, it will, it will imbalance what you're looking for perhaps, you know? And so um, I have a question about the black witch's salt. So I'm actually not as familiar with black witch's salt. Um, Jake, what is that specifically? Um, as far as I know, I, as far as I've been told, it's like a form of uh, just blessed salt that is uh, essentially remade to, protect specifically against uh, like witchcraft and evil entities. And it's usually mixed with like ashes and uh, charcoal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like salt and charcoal. Yeah. Or salt and ash. Yeah. But I think that there's a really good point there. That's also um, one that, that ignites very easily. And so remember what, what something does in the physical world, whether it's ginger that overpowers a dish very easily, or it's something that happens, it, this is the same thing in the spiritual world. I mean, if my suggestion to this witch would be to, you know, you, you learn something here, you learn something that, that you know, your, your spell got a little hot. Um, so make a note about what the ingredients you put in there and perhaps say, maybe next time, if I'm just looking for a, a gentle um, experience, I'm not gonna include as much ginger and I use ginger when I really want to break through something or really want to pump something up and, and yeah, ma- make those recipe notes. It's just kind of like when you bake or you cook, you learn this recipe calls for too much salt. I'm not going to use as much salt as it, it has last time. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut back on that. Um, or I'm, or you're going to need to add more. You're going to need to add more of whatever, you know, the recipe calls for, cause it actually doesn't come through as much as it says in the book. That's the kind of thing that you're going to want to do. And every time you do a spell, there's, there's often an unintended consequence, but as you get more, um, as you get more fluent in the work that you're doing, um, with, uh, with witchcraft, I think you're going to find that you have, um, you have a lot of, you know, you're, you're going to be able to avoid those full on tower moments. If it were me, that would be one of my new go-to spells <laughs> because whether you realize it or not, what you just got was incredibly powerful, incredibly meaningful, and impactful in your life. So and I mean, if that's what you're looking for is something that's, you know, to me, it's, it's, that's exciting and impressive and not something that I would necessarily be fearful of. Um, yeah. It's, it's, but like I said, come, come to magic and come to spell work with the basic understanding that you are not always going to walk away with what you want. You're going to walk away with what you need. 
And, you know, we all kind of have examples of, you know, one of my most impactful spells was one that caused a relationship. It didn't, I'm not going to say it caused the relationship to end, but it was the end. It of the caused the relationship to end. No, it's no, but, but what I said was I want a resolution. I want it to move forward or I want it, I want it to be over. And what I wanted was for it to move forward. But the reality is that's not what I needed. And so that wasn't what I got. And so if you come to spell work with the understanding that you're going to get what you need and you're going to get, uh, you know, kind of what's most meaningful to you in the moment and impactful in the moment and not necessarily kind of, this is the one outcome that I wanted to happen, then you're going to find that your magic can be incredibly powerful. And it's just like with uh, the bone readings that I do, the spirits often, you know, tell the person what they need and not necessarily what they want to hear. Only in very rare cases when, you know, people, you know, actually seem to have their shit together, do the spirits entertain their questions. Mm. (laughs) They're like, okay, I I guess so this time. Yeah, Yeah, but that does not happen a lot. (laughs) But don't get too comfortable because it probably won't happen next time. (laughs) It's kind of like, how can I I meet someone in the bone set? You need to take a shower. But, but, no, seriously, go bathe. And then... (laughs) (laughs) So, Jake, how can people uh, find you or keep in touch with you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook at uh, Jake Richards or uh, through my business page, Little Chicago Conjure. Um, they can find me on Twitter at, I think it's Jake Richards 13. And then Instagram is Jake Richards underscore 131. Um, and then they can also reach me through uh, my email at uh, Little Chicago Conjure at Yahoo. Oh, and through my blog, uh, Holy Stones and Iron Bone. Well, Jake, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so very much. And thank all of you for listening. Don't forget, if you want to support the show, best way is to subscribe, rate, review us on your favorite podcast platform, or support us on Patreon. Um, for those of you who heard last week's episode with Haba, there is a photo that we have released of Kanani and I with a CD that she ultimately ran over with her car because she hated the song so much that I insisted on playing with it. Um, so don't forget, so you can check that out if you are a patron. And um, as an incentive, uh, we are holding a live online ritual and Q&A session for all patrons who join between now and the end of July. Um, that will be scheduled in August. And if you can't or don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, totally understand. We happily accept individual donations through Kofi, or you can purchase handmade That Witch Life merchandise on our Etsy store made for you by Kanani. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us and keep in touch. And so for show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question for a future episode, or if you have suggestions, responses to the questions that we had, go to that, um, thatwitchlife.com and fill out the contact sheet. Until then, keep moting that shit. We will talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So mode it be. I'm going to take pictures of this so everyone can see the view I have while I'm recording. We'll put it on Patreon just to, just to dig the dagger in a little bit more, just to just, I'll, I'll I'll make it next time I go to your house, Hillary, I'm going to make it your computer's computer, uh, screenshot. 
So wait a minute. Are you saying that like you're gonna make our Patreon subscribers feel like shit? So that's not awesome. No, 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 no. You, you. It's not. No, they'll love it. They'll think it's fabulous. They'll appreciate it. Wow. Support us on Patreon so Kanani can make you feel like shit. Certainly worth a dollar a month. You know what? <laughs> they love me. They get it. They're gonna see it and giggle oh and be God. like, Hillary Switzbroken. This is funny. They'll get it. They'll get it.